0: Also take boats if they're on a trailer, motorhomes, farm equipment, motorcycles that are operational, and recreational vehicles like jet skis and snowmobiles. Call the Center for Car Donations at 877-411-DONATE to find out if your vehicle qualifies. They'll pick it up for free and give you a tax receipt for your donation. It's easy, quick, and KPFA gets the proceeds. Lost title? Not smog? That's okay. Call today, 877-411-Donate to make arrangements or visit kpfa.org. That's 877-411-3662. KPFA, KPFB Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno. It's 3 p.m. Stay tuned for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy. Uh-huh. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's throw uh, sixth december twenty eleven and before I forget, I want to thank Mike, my new engineer. Mike he popped in here a minute ago and uh I was putting my face on <laughs> and that's something I do when I'm when I'm desperate when I'm trying to think of myself as a performer. I sit and put my face on. Actually I don't have any eyebrows anymore. Uh <laughs> it's it's one of those what is it? It's one of those um things you do, you know, when you're trying to psych yourself up. It's of course hopeless, but he he I'm sure was not uh offended. My older son always looks horrified when I put my face on in a restaurant. Uh I I think the last time I did that, he said something. uh, I said, well, I don't sit here shaving or something. I said, no, 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 it's not the same thing at all. In the 50s, you know, putting your lipstick on was a perfectly respectable thing to do. Never mind. I want to thank Mike for putting up with me, and I want to thank all those KPFA listeners who have been kind enough to write me letters this year, send me birthday gifts, I guess, Christmas gift. I love this portrait. It's a photograph, a framed portrait of a little bull under a great oak tree. This is a gift from Jerry and Julie. It's in remembrance of last week's reading of Ferdinand the Bull by Monroe Leaf. That. Fabulous children's book written in the 30s. You know, what if there were a war and nobody came? It's all about a little bull who would not fight in the bullfights. He just wanted to sit quietly uh, and smell the flowers. I especially like the oak tree. Uh, Now, in the book, you know, the uh, tree is a cork tree, My mother was always delighted that the cork tree had little clusters of corks, you know, like clusters of grapes. But they were the kind of corks that fit in wine bottles. So, of course, that would not be a natural plant growth. Uh, But here we have the giant oak tree. There's another photograph from uh, Jerry and Julie, an absolutely beautiful black and white photo. Of this tree, I must find a very special place of honor uh, for the oak. Once upon a time, I used to write poems about pagan or Celtic uh, oak trees, as you know, they were a reference, um, Druids, sacred tree. Anyway, uh, I gave all that up, you know. <laughs> the last time, Celtic French, well, never mind, never mind, never mind, uh. Editors are, uh, uh, what is it, Uh, they plague me, but I will not complain. These days, if you can get anything published, you're lucky. Uh, The Celtic twilight is definitely fading fast. I'm only half Irish and the worst half at that. Uh, I I just find it lovely at this time of year, all the Yule logs and the smell of the green stuff well it's so so maddening um that we have no fireplaces uh you know we 're not allowed here in the city. we're not supposed to burn stuff it 's bad for the air i I make up for that with candles i'm just knee deep in candles everywhere. I wish I could go this year to the holiday crafts fair. i won't be there this year uh i uh I go from time to time i'm waiting until I have a a new book, I have four titles for sale, actually, anybody who is interested in my books can just write to me at KPFA, I'm box 94 now, but you don't need the box number, just Jennifer Stone, KPFA is enough, but box 94 gets to me, I have a title, um, well, I have one collection of stories, and then there's a memoir, and then there's a, an award-winning, serious book of essays on women and literature and politics. And actually, I brought that one today. I'm going to load you down with uh, an essay called "The Imperative of Intimacy." You know, love is all there's time for. Oh, and the fourth title is "Mind Over Media." That's a book about the movies. Uh, Mind Over Media used to be the title of this show, but it's amazing. I I used to get letters saying, what does that mean, Mind Over Media? Uh, Who knows what anything means? I thought it was clear. Uh, This week, all I hear, the only meaning is the chorus of the occupiers. Uh, I think of that in my mind, my image, is that of a Greek chorus, you know, like those in ancient uh Athens, the theater there, the Greek drama, that gave us the call and response um, that comes out of Africa, actually, you know, the uh, leader and then the group, but in this new uh chorus, the whole group repeats the lines uh uh, it's as if, as if we hear people talking to each other, uh, echoing each other, calling out to the community, to each other, and maybe reaching out to that 1% that we hope is listening. It's so strange to hear them in the 21st century. These days, you know, we... We're attuned to microphones, to high-tech uh, sounds, electronic communication, the world brain of the Internet. Uh The late Marshall McLuhan told us that the medium is the message. Now, I don't know what that means anymore. Uh, is the medium we the people, or is it the technology, the fact that... uh One voice can be heard by millions, millions. A world brain indeed. Anyway, this is the way the people can express their needs, cry out. Ah, One of us picks up a line and carries it to the next group pass it on, as we used to say in school, right, pass it on, pass it on, but the difficulty sometimes is by the time the message gets to the last person, it's been quite distorted, uh, that can be a problem, uh, anyway, what I thought last night, I was trying to think about what's most important for us to think about this time of year, and of course, I'm the last person to know, uh, What I did think about was if we're into instant understanding and if I'm into women's voices, the woman's point of view, uh, the female slant, uh, the eternal feminine carries us forward, then I thought maybe women might try to Occupy patriarchy. Then I thought I better I better put a, a condition on that. Yes, at least feminist women might try to occupy patriarchy. Now that's a concept. <laughs> we tried it for decades back in the seventies. I remember, especially we did it once at um, KPFA in the. Uh, in the day, back in the day, we used to come down here and take over the station sometime in March, Uh, oh my God, anyway, if there's one thing I did learn at my mother's knee, it was that women must respect male space, Uh, you know, you can get yourself into a great deal of trouble if you don't, Uh, my problem is that I do demand absolute autonomy over my space. I want to be sovereign. What do women want? Yes, we wish to be sovereign in our persons, our homes, and our work. And I assume that men feel the same. So it's a very, it's a big problem to talk about occupying patriarchy. Uh, I suppose women would argue that they have more right to occupy patriarchy since... Patriarchy is the norm uh nobody though wants to be rejected, ignored, or told off. uh I remember the difficulties I used to get into at uh uh poetry readings, book readings when we had a woman only policy. What a fuss that created more fuss. The reading was always lost in the confusion, so I gave up on that uh, It was a snag uh. Female space is not respected, so I suppose the argument is that male space should not be respected, you know, locker rooms, we have to invade the locker room and crash their clubs, uh, mm, I'm not sure, actually, this is something we need to think about, uh, we need to go further with this, uh. I accept the fact that others, male and female, intrude on my thoughts. (laughs) Yes, even over the net, yes. Even women can intrude on my thoughts. Uh, Space, physical space, that's something else. Uh, I don't know. My thought is that if you've ever tried laughing at a man, you know... (laughs) You know the kind of trouble you're in when you intrude on his uh, psychic or emotional space. Just try laughing at a stuffed shirt. Uh Uh-huh, my Irish heritage allows me to do this sort of thing, but it is a clear and present danger. Uh, uh, Many men would rather be verbally abused, you know. They prefer the anger of a woman to her laughter. Denigrating males with laughter uh, is uh, not just Irish, it's lethal. Uh, All of us have an ego. My own threshold for insult is very low. (laughs) You know, that dismissive response we get from people who disregard us can be very painful. Anyway... My question this year is, when is it politically correct to intrude on male space? I'm going to guess that maybe it is when their space is exclusive. That is, uh, when the space creates a situation where uh, men and women are unequal. You know, um, athletic facilities, that kind of thing, uh... The clubs, the restaurants, the schools, uh, transport, access to credit, all those serious, um, oh, those legal matters, you know, the whole package. Uh, Some males tend to bitch about traditional rules, about bar rooms, um, locker rooms, and so forth. But what I see is that this Occupy movement, um, yes, the Occupation Chorus... When they have meetings, the best thing I see there is that women do have equal time. If you look at the uh, television coverage, you see that there are certainly as many women present as men. That's new. That's different. Even in the protest scene, uh, women are quick to understand that uh, the consensus demands their opinions, even sometimes their leadership although, uh, we don't need to call it leadership anymore, I'm grateful to hear, uh, the young thinkers say that they can lead themselves, we don't need superheroes, we don't need, uh, Mario Savio, although sometimes, yes, I, I miss Mario Savio, the great speaker, the rhetoric, it's true, uh, He lit up a fire in the free speech movement. That was my initiation into activism. Uh, uh, Back in the day, back in the day, when I was happy just to make the coffee. (laughs) I know. Uh, I just think women are more useful when we're liberated, but somebody, you know, somebody has to make the coffee. We'll have to take turns, that's all. Uh, I guess... We'll be arguing about this till the cows or the bulls come home. (laughs) Yes, the truth is, somebody somewhere has to reproduce the species, and that takes a hell of a lot of weeknights. As the poet Edna St. Vincent Millay wrote, whether or not we find what we are seeking is idle, biologically speaking. As Helen Caldicott, says, a baby is a baby is a baby. If we neglect the baby, we drop the ball. I was one of those idealists who had that absurd notion that feminism, the movement for uh, women's liberation, uh, it meant that men, male men, would take on some of the responsibilities of raising the next generation you know i thought i thought we all wanted to be artists and get out of the the uh, business mode the uh, the money making the material world boy was i wrong about that <laughs> i'm forever grateful that at least that idea has entered the conversation yes the battle for men's minds and hearts uh, of course, the battle for uh, men's minds is often fought on the field of women's bodies. That's true, too. Truly, a wise man knows that his heritage is all about his progeny, his future, you know. If you mess up your kids, not much else matters, guys. Now, I don't buy that notion that any parent, male or female, uh can prioritize their work, or their art, or just their lives, their causes, their religions, whatever. I think that Picasso could paint perfectly well without destroying his kids or his lovers, come to that. It's not either or, it's both and. Ah, I guess, yes, the same goes for all of us, male, female, old and young, we know that The women without children, that is, those women uh, back in the day, especially Victorians, they were the first women to write, to create. uh, I don't know, I think that probably women have always created, it's just that their work was ignored until fairly recently. uh, Even those childless women were often put into service, you know, they did woman's work, caring for the children of others, for their families. Uh, I think of the Bronte's father, he comes to mind. Virginia Woolf was stuck with her dad until uh, he died. Then she was free, free to express herself. My illusion back in the 70s was that men would discover the romance of feminism, that is, the romance of... Intimacy of the personal life, uh, said Alan Watts, used to write that uh, men in the uh, contemplative life, priests, for example, were closer to the feminine, to the uh, life of the mind and the heart, uh, artists and so forth, that they were uh, closer to real intimacy, human The human stuff instead of the uh, warrior stuff. Now, uh, I remember when a few guys did do that. Do you remember the graduate students with the babies on their backs? And we all said, oh, it's happening. It's all going to change. And it did a little, but not altogether. Uh, I, I think that's because so many women discovered masculine privilege, oh boy, it's so great to get that paycheck, oh wow, I saw them out there, they put their high heels in their uh, briefcases and ran to work in their running shoes, and they took off, and suddenly the question was, how many women are lawyers and doctors, anyway, I guess maybe it's time to work on the liberation of childcare workers. There we go. <laughs> Maybe no one really, really wants to change the diapers. Back in the day togetherness was an ideal eh, possible but not probable. Not probable. In any case, what I want to do today uh let's see, I had made a list of 18 things to read because it's Christmas and I'm so interested in this issue of intimacy. And I started out, let's see, I listened to Mitch on uh, his show 10 o'clock yesterday morning. He was reading about the great Lucretius, the nature of the universe, the pagan poet, you know. Now, there's somebody who changed my life. See, Lucretius was not just a feminist. uh <laughs> Actually, I, I don't think he knew women existed, but he was definitely what I call a, a subjective soul. Uh, along with Alan Watts, his book, Psychiatry, East and West, turned me on. And these were the male philosophers who understood that there was so much more to life than getting and spending uh at the end of my list, I even had our own Mark Twain, his Diary of Adam and Eve. Hilarious spin on biblical Genesis, you know, the ways in which we came to be human. Uh, they they keep stumbling over each other, man and woman, Adam and Eve. Mark Twain's Diary of Adam and Eve is my favorite KPFA reading. I was digging around for it the other day, my... Younger son and I once made a tape of that, and I can't find it anywhere, but it's wonderful. Uh, It's got all these passages about the woman before the fall, when she's leading the groups, the animals, she was the leader of the pack. She was so enthusiastic and wild and uh, free, and then, of course, comes the fall, which is pregnancy, babies, and the rest. And after the fall, she uh, 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 she learns to visit the temple of the guy, you know. After the fall, uh, she goes to his church. She grasps the nettle. And uh, she says, well, uh, uh, she doesn't love him on account of his singing. No, no. She says, I love him just because he's masculine. No, she says, I do not love him because of his singing. The more he sings, the more I do not get used to it. But, uh, I can get used to his singing. Ah, that's the easy part. (laughs) I think, I think, yes, Mark Twain's Diary of Adam and Eve is my absolute ultimate man-woman story. Uh, Today I'm going to spend five minutes, just five minutes, I have left with an essay I wrote long ago called Eros, the Imperative of Intimacy. It's all about women's poetry. Now, uh, gee, I thought I had 27 minutes to read this and I've gone and rattled, rattled on, let's see, trying to think what is the absolute essence of this essay. I guess I'm going to have to save it for next week. Let me just, let me just uh, dip in here. Uh, hmm. <laughs> the woman poet, the woman poet does not wish to write as a man does. We do not wish to join that club. It's not that we serve a different master, although we do. It's that we are sick of service and the master has made masochists of us all. A woman's motive in writing is not mastery, either of herself or of her material. Women do not wish to be equal as artists. Equal is not the same. Women wish to find a new voice. Equity within the literary establishment, that would would be nice. Yes, equal time, equal time, occupy patriarchal space. But we're not going to get that. I don't think that's ever going to be our fate. What women can give us is more of themselves. We can know more of each other. For a poet, style is the only morality if a woman's style is to seek for an end to separation and to move, well, to join the trend toward intimacy, then there is hope for the future of literature. Then I think of Virginia Woolf talking about Shakespeare's sister, you know, that curious woman who went to London (laughs) and, and with a little luck managed to avoid becoming pregnant and managed to write the plays of Shakespeare. Uh, Interesting, interesting. See, I have so many paragraphs here on D.H. Lawrence, all of the... Yes, let me jump to the books by Barbara Walker, the Woman's or Women's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets, also her book, The Crone, Woman of Age, Wisdom and Power. I mention those because uh, there's such wonderful Christmas presents to give. She gives us, Barbara Walker gives us multi-layered references, information about pre-patriarchal thought and religion can combine this with all the modern stuff. It's all the same, you know. Uh, She gives us a panoramic vision of earlier ages, times when human beings seemed to have been in balance, not that they were good or just or even wise, only that there was some balance. Eden was not paradise. Dialecticism or the setting up of measured evils is just one of those advanced developments associated with patriarchy. The original image, picture of God, was, logically enough, the image of an old woman, a crone. When I saw this image on the cover of Barbara Walker's book, I refused to touch it for months. Like all patriarchal people, I fear and loathe old age and all that goes with it. <laughs> I'm changing... Barbara Walker's premise is that mankind or humankind has always acted more out of fear than out of love. Maybe it's time to fear that old woman again. Perhaps Yahweh knew what he was doing with all that thunder. The image of God as a woman, while a less fearful image for many of us, is still a threat. Kali is the mother of destruction... She's going to throw us all back into a cosmic cauldron in the end. Kali stirs the cauldron of blood until it boils over. That's where we are today. (laughs) Well, I'll have to wait until next week to tell you what's going to really govern the universe in days to come. Listen to your mother. Yo, mama knows where things are at. Mrs. Ben Jennifer Stone be back on the air next Tuesday at the same time. Until then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. It's KPFA, KPFB, in Burton, KFCF from Fresno. It is three.